You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Reports of cyber attacks against Iranian government and possibly economic targets are circulating. Details are sparse. Norway accuses Russia of hacking parliamentary emails. A cyber criminal gang's secret is volume. A social engineering campaign singles out victims with USIP addresses. Joe Kerrigan on a million-dollar Our Evil recruitment offer. Our guest is Paul Nicholson from A10 Networks with a look at the state of DDoS weapons. And the U.S. Treasury Department warns banks to be on the lookout for signs of unemployment fraud. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, October 14th, 2020. Iran's National Computer Emergency Response Team acknowledged today that two Iranian government agencies had come under cyber attack, which had been successfully confined to those two organizations. The Jerusalem Post notes that the disclosure came after rumors of the disruption circulated widely in social media. Iran's official news agency, IRNA, said the attacks had been contained, done limited damage, and were under investigation. Unconfirmed reports from U.S.-operated Radio Farda and other sources said the attacks hit Iran's ports and shipping organization, as well as a port in Bandar Abbas, and that some financial services may also have been affected. Norwegian Foreign Minister Ina Eriksson Soride announced that Moscow was responsible for a recent attack on Norway's parliamentary email system. The BBC quotes the foreign minister as saying, quote, Based on the information available to the government, it is our assessment that Russia stood behind this activity. Quote. Moscow dismissed the statement as a serious and willful provocation. The attack, detected in August, gave the intruders access to parliamentary emails in an apparent cyber espionage incident. Those of you of a certain age will remember the radio ads for discount electronics stores or men's clothing establishments whose prices were so low that they, they, they were just insane. The proprietor would ask, they ask me, what's your secret? And I tell them, volume. It's like that with social engineering sometimes. 
FireEye today released an account of the activities of Fin11, a financially motivated APT, that is, a criminal gang. Fin11 isn't the Maison Louis Vuitton of malware. Their stuff isn't particularly advanced or sophisticated. No, Fin11 is more the crazy Louis nuthouse of malware. What Fin11 lacks in sophistication, Fin11 makes up in volume. The outfit runs as many as five large-scale fishing expeditions a week. They've been around for a while, since 2016 at least, which makes them venerable by criminal standards. Their targets were initially chosen from the financial, retail, and hospitality sectors, but over the past year, Fin11's target list has expanded to the point where few sectors or geographical regions have escaped attention. Fin11 has shown an evolution that exemplifies the way the criminal underground has changed over the last few years. FireEye says, quote, Recently, Fin11 has deployed CLOP ransomware and threatened to publish exfiltrated data to pressure victims into paying ransom demands. The group's shifting monetization methods from a point-of-sale malware in 2018 to ransomware in 2019 and hybrid extortion in 2020 is part of a larger trend in which criminal actors have increasingly focused on post-compromise ransomware deployment and data theft extortion, end quote. FireEye also notes that recent FIN11 activity seems to overlap with that of the TA505 criminal group, but they caution that this doesn't mean the two groups are the same, and in fact their assessment is that they're distinct operations. What it does mean is that the two groups are partaking of another criminal trend, buying services from a commodity criminal provider of hacking tools and services. And their secret? Volume. Digital Shadows describes an SMS-based campaign that uses highly personalized clickbait to induce its victims to follow the proffered link. It was originally known as the USPS texting scam, but it's expanded beyond messaging that impersonates the U.S. Postal Service. Other services, notably Amazon, FedEx, Cash App, Netflix, various adult entertainment services, and of course payment card or financial services, the usual bric-a-brac of the online scam. A lot of smishing this year has used fear of the COVID-19 pandemic to lend urgency to its appeals to fear. That's not the case in this recent wave. Instead, it relies on more or less plausible impersonation of a shipper's customer service messaging to tell the victim, for example, that an attempt has been made to ship them a package and that for some reason or another, usually an unstated reason, the shipment requires the recipient's immediate attention. There's usually a shipping number, bogus, of course, but tacked on for greater detail to lend plausibility to the imposture that's tossed in for good measure. What's not bogus is the recipient's name, and that can really lend plausibility. These are the steps in the attacks Digital Shadows describes. First, the victim receives a message with a suspicious four- to six-digit link, Second, the incautious victim clicks the link and is redirected to a .io domain. Third, that domain fingerprints the victim and connects to another domain. Fourth, the victim, if located in the U.S., is redirected to a phishing page. If the victims are determined to be outside the U.S., they're simply redirected to a legitimate Google page. If the user has an IP address located within the U.S. before they're redirected to the phishing page, they're briefly connected to a tracking domain. 
The phishing page is usually a phony survey. After the victims complete the survey, they move to the final page, which asks them for personally identifiable information. Those are fulls in hackerspeak, so that they can receive a free prize for completing the survey. But as is so often the case, the prize is the victim's data, and the winners are the hackers. Finally, the COVID-19 pandemic has induced a large number of unemployment claims, and the U.S. Treasury Department warns banks to watch for signs of a correspondingly large rise in unemployment fraud. Among the signs the Treasury Department's Financial Crimes Enforcement Network points out are large wire transfers, especially transfers to offshore accounts. Wire transfers can be as convenient as they are risky, unlike credit card fraud, where the victims have some recourse. Once a wire transfer goes through, it's gone, baby, gone. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use. With zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications, so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Researchers at A10 Networks recently published a report on the state of DDoS weapons. Joining us with some of their findings is A10 Networks' Paul Nicholson. Okay, so with this report, we actually publish it every quarter, and it's basically an informational resource for security professionals to look at potential weapons which could hit their network. So it's a slight difference than some of the other reports out there because we call it the DDoS weapons report because these weapons are potential weapons which could be used to uh, attack your network. As well as that, we also normally highlight some of the more interesting findings and try and relate them to topical events uh, where we can as well. What are you tracking in terms of the evolution of DDoS? Are, are, do things continue to uh, to grow? 
Uh, yeah, so we look at, uh, you know, as I say, amplification and reflection attacks are the biggest types of attacks we see. So some of the usual uh, UDP services, which come out on top in the report every quarter. So, for example, with port map, we see 1.8 million uh, potential weapons out there, which could be used uh, to launch these types of spoofing attacks. And then after that, SNMP, SSDP, DNS resolvers and TFTP servers. Uh, so they round out the top five. But what we find is interesting is you might have heard there was a recent attack on Amazon um, at the uh, revealed in their Q1 report. And that was the same type of attack, a UDP attack, but it was using not one of the top five weapons. It was actually using a, a one called CLDAP uh, or Connectionless Lightweight Directory Access Protocol. And, you know, when I talked about these top weapons we see, there's like 1.8 million of them out there. With the CLDAT ones from our honeypots and our sources, uh, at the time, we were seeing only 15,000. So in, the size isn't always an indication if it's going to be used for the largest attacks of the day. So what are your recommendations in order for organizations to best protect themselves against this? What sort of things uh, do you suggest? One, you have to know your environment. You have to also, if you're going to a cloud environment, very important right now is to know that cloud environment as well and your level of responsibility in terms of what's secured by the uh, cloud or hosting provider versus um, what your responsibility is. As I mentioned in that CLDAP example uh, earlier, uh, illustrating that. And then, um, you know, with the DDoS attacks, literally the attackers are just trying to overwhelm either the network, the infrastructure, or the applications. So employing automation, uh, artificial intelligence to be able to help, you know establish your baseline, be able to see when uh, that baseline is being exceeded, and then gradually implement policies uh, which become more uh, aggressive as the attacks become aggressive is the way to go because it will reduce the operational impact of having it. Um, it'll be more accurate and um, it'll give you a better chance to make sure that you can defend against these. That's Paul Nicholson from A10 Networks. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hey, Joe, it's great to have you back. Hi, Dave. How are you? Good, 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 good. So we have an article here from Forbes uh, yeah. by Simon Chandler, and uh, it's titled, Our Evil Ransomware Gang Offers $1 Million as Part of a Recruitment Drive. 
Unpack this for us here, Joe. <laughs> right now, I'm putting my pinky up to the corner of my mouth. One million dollars. <laughs> um, so what is going on here is that this this group, uh, the R-Evil ransomware operation, has uh, deposited this $1 million in Bitcoin in a Russian-speaking hacker website. And hmm. they are announcing that they're looking for people to help with their operation. They're recruiting people, Dave. Hmm. This is just like a business for these guys. <laughs> is this like LinkedIn for bad guys? That's what the hacker <laughs> forum is. It's LinkedIn for bad guys. And, right. But when you're a malicious actor, you have to uh, demonstrate that you're capable of paying people for being part of your operation. And right. what they've done here is essentially put into escrow a million dollars in Bitcoin and said, look, we can do this. We have the money to pay you. We are not hmm. scamming you, which is a really big risk for people when they're uh, looking to do nefarious things in the dark net, right? There's all kinds of um, all kinds of ways to get scammed out of your money or your time on that, and and yeah. do work for someone for free. And no, nobody wants to do that. So these guys have said, "Well, here's a million dollars in Bitcoin. We're just going to put it up here, and you can see it, and we'll pay you from it." Hmm. Who who are they looking for? What kind of talent are they going after? They're looking for affiliates who would be responsible for getting into organizations and infecting them with ransomware, and yeah. the actually. Our evil is building this ransomware as a service enterprise, and they're saying that they'll receive 20 percent, 20 to 30 percent, while you, as the guy that broke in to the to the place and infected them with ransomware, you'll get 70 to 80 percent of the payout. Ransomware is, is tough work, you know, breaking in. So if, if you can have other people do it and then just collect, you know, 20 to 30 percent while other people do the work, it's like being a franchisor. Right. <laughs> so I was going to say, yeah, yeah, it's like opening your neighborhood McDonald's. Exactly. Except, except for ransomware. Ex that's exactly what this is. They are looking for franchisees. It is exactly like a business. We talk about how these people run their organizations just like businesses. There are people in, in there for sales. This is recruiting. This is like HR. Uh, there are people who do management. And there are people do, who do tech support for these companies, these not companies, organizations. These are criminal organizations. I say company like it. Like it's run like a company, but it's not a company. It's a <laughs> legitimate businessmen. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> One of the things they're looking for is they're looking for people with experience and skills in penetration testing, right? Hmm. Which means hmm. they're looking for people to break into businesses. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it, it strikes me that a million dollars in is not chump change, uh, no matter not, what nope. form it's in, in Bitcoin or or other ways. I suppose, I mean, I guess it's a small possibility, but there's a possibility that this could all be a ruse by law enforcement, right? I mean, to, to try to hook people in, that happens sometimes on these dark web forums. Yeah, Unlikely, that, but... That, that is possible, but the problem is that uh, if you're doing this completely like the Onion Network, the Onion Router Network... Tour, yeah. then you're you're going to have a hard time finding the people who have done this. Mm. And if if you send them Bitcoin and they immediately change that to another currency to evade detection, that's also going to be hard to find. So I don't think law enforcement is going to take a million dollars, put it up and say, you know, we're going to try to catch some bad guys. Maybe they're going to do it if it's seized money. You know, they've, they've seized money from people. They've, right. they've Bitcoin's <laughs> right. all seized. Right. They really don't care what happens. Maybe. I mean, that's a good point, Dave, I, that... This might not be hackers, but I think it is the R evil. I think that's been confirmed in the story. That it yeah, is yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, yeah. I, I guess what I'm getting at is that you know that's sort of the rolled into all of this is that that element of risk, that cost of doing business, that there is a risk. You you always have to be 
looking over your shoulder. Absolutely. Uh, and and I guess, I mean, to the, the main point of this whole story that in order to get people to trust them, that's why they have to put the million bucks up in the first place. That's exactly right. Yeah. You know, this is something I could never do. Not because it's wrong, right? And because I, 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 I mean. You're fully capable of doing things yeah, that are wrong. That's not what I meant to say. <laughs> not just because it's wrong. Right. Okay. <laughs> Let's say that instead. Uh, not go. just because it's wrong and because you're destroying people's businesses and lives. But yeah. I, I know myself. I could never live in constant fear of somebody tapping me on the shoulder and going, Mr. Kerrigan, you're under arrest for the hacking. Okay, I, oh, great. Right. That, that gives you're me the guy who always rewound chest. his VHS tapes before you returned yeah, them to the, to, to, to the rental store. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you want to sleep at night. Exactly. I want to sleep yeah. at night. And yeah. uh, I would not be able to sleep at night uh, under, under these conditions. Regardless yeah. of how many millions of dollars in Bitcoin I had in some some exchange somewhere, right, or in my right. own hard wallet, just wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't be comforting. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, the article is over on Forbes uh, again, written by Simon Chandler. It's uh, our evil ransomware gang offers one million dollars as part of a recruitment drive. Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Have it your way. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.